All right, we have been in a three-part series, and today's the last message of our three-part series on generosity, what happens when. And today I want to talk to you about what happens when we release generosity. This past week, Thursday was Thanksgiving. Some of you are still washing dishes from Thanksgiving. You will for weeks be eating leftovers from Thanksgiving. But you know, generosity and Thanksgiving are powerful cousins. They go hand in hand. And I hope that you have begun to learn the power of Thanksgiving and gratitude and what it does in your life. Um, since my children were small, every time that we would have a meal together, we would always pause. They knew it. Don't eat yet because we're going to pause and give thanks. Now, we don't want to be legalistic. If you ate something and you didn't pray, it's not like it's going to turn into poison and damage you. But the reason that we give thanksgiving is it gives us an excuse to pause and say, thank you, God. In fact, I've already begun to taught, teach my a grandson who's only 16 months old. If he's over at the house, we put him in his uh, high chair, and he already knows before he gets to eat, we say, we got to pray. And he looks at me and puts his hands together. <laughs> and then I pray, and, and then I say, amen. And he says something like, I'm going to him. So I, I think he means amen. Or he's, he's speaking in tongues, like I need to translate. Something like that's going on. But we're trying to teach him the power of thanksgiving. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15, is a powerful scripture that talks about the culture of generosity that you and I are to embrace. Let me say this. If you do not embrace a culture of generosity, if you do not learn how to sow seeds into generosity, the person most affected the person most robbed, the person that will be most affected in a negative way is you. Unless you learn how to release generosity, you will suffer the consequences of not living in this zone or culture of generosity. Uh, before I get into the passage, let me just uh, give you a study that was done not too long ago, a secular study, not a Christian study, by a Harvard University professor by the name of Arthur Brooks. He analyzed data from 30,000 people in 41 different communities to study the effects of generosity and how it affects their attitude and their lifestyle. And it's an extensive study, but let me just say this. Dr. Arthur Brooks discovered that people who give to charity or are generous are 43% more likely than people who don't give to say that they are happy people. Let me say that again. People that give and have learned the power of generosity are 43% happier than people that haven't learned the power of giving. Think about that. That's pretty amazing. He also discovered, by the way, and this is interesting, 
he discovered that people that give actually tend to be wealthier than people that don't give. For every dollar that's given, people earn about $3 more because of generosity. There's something about generosity that allows people to earn more, make more, do more, engage more, risk more, because they've embraced a spirit of generosity. And because I'm limited in time, let me just mention a couple of the other benefits of generosity. Generosity lowers blood pressure, increases self-esteem, lessens depression, lowered stress levels, help people live a longer life, and produce greater happiness. What am I talking about? A pill? No, I'm talking about generosity. There are two habits that affect your mental health probably more than any other habits that you can engage in. Number one, is gratitude and thanksgiving, and number two is generosity. Thanksgiving and generosity go hand in hand. They're cousins. They're a dynamic duo. If you learn the power of thanksgiving, there's tons of studies as well done on thanksgiving. It lowers, it actually can lower your cholesterol, fights depression, pushes back isolation, causes you to have a much better perspective on life. It goes hand in hand with generosity. In fact, I believe that if you learn gratitude and generosity, your lifestyle, your mental health, your happiness will escalate about 40%. And this is done by secular studies, not even by Christian studies, on people all over the world, the power of gratitude and generosity. Let me tell you this. Jesus spoke about this over 2,000 years ago. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, quoting Jesus, it says, The Lord himself said, It is more blessed to what? To give than to receive. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 starts by saying this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. The righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. Word of the Lord. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one. I'm going to answer three questions. How do you embrace the spirit of generosity? What, what can I, why can I embrace a lifestyle of generosity? And what happens when I begin to walk in generosity? First of all, let me answer the question is, how do I embrace a spirit of generosity? Well, the Apostle Paul says, remember. You know, sometimes we forget. He says, remember, remember. And he gives us a compelling, powerful principle. I call this a transcendent principle. 
It means a principle that applies to the material world, the spiritual world, the financial world, the relational world. It applies when you're young. It applies when you're old. It applies no matter what season of life. Here's the principle. You've heard it before. Let me reiterate what Scripture says. Whatever, who, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. In Galatians, it says it this way. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Let me reiterate that principle. What the Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthian church when it comes to generosity is he's telling them this. Whatever seeds you sow ultimately will be the seeds that the harvest that you reap. We know that. It's not a mystery. If a farmer goes out to sow seeds and he sows a lot of seeds, he expects a lot of harvest. If the farmer goes out and says, you know what, this year I'm not going to sow any seeds. And then he shows up at harvest time saying, where's my harvest? His neighbors are going to say, you're a little nuts. How can you expect to reap where you have not sowed? You will reap in direct correlation to what you sow. Hear me well, this is really important. This transcendent principle is the best predictor of your future. In other words, if you want to know what life is going to be like in a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, or ten years from now, answer this question. What seeds are you sowing now? Because your future will have a direct correlation to the seeds that you sow now. In other words, if you're married here, and you're sowing seeds of nurturing, of romance, of listening, of perseverance, of kindness, of investment into your marriage, then chances are five years from now, you're going to reap the harvest of a great marriage. If you're sowing the seeds of neglect, of infidelity, of a critical spirit, of very little conversation, then I would not be surprised if five years from now you're in divorce court. Because whatever a man sows, that also will he reap. Uh, we know it in the physical realm. Whatever you sow right now, you may say, hey, I'm young, I can overeat, I can build up carbs, I don't have to work out, I don't have to sleep well. And so you're sowing unhealthy seeds into your life, and you wake up five years from now and realize the doctor tells you you have high blood pressure, you have high cholesterol, you're, um, you're, you're going to need a bypass, or you need to get on medication, and you say, how did that happen? It's no mystery how it happened. You sowed it five years ago. You've been sowing seeds that are unhealthy, and you're reaping a harvest of lack of health in, in, in your life. It's a transcendent principle. If you're sowing seeds of saving, 
seeds of giving, seeds of budgeting in your finances, if you're putting money aside and you're sowing seeds of hard work and generosity, then chances are five years from now, you're going to be at a good place financially. If you're not, if you're uh, racking up credit card debt, if you're not living on a budget, if you're spending more than what you're making, then chances are five years from now, you're going to be in a lot of debt because a man reaps what a man sows. Are you with me here? And so the Apostle Paul is reminding the Corinthian church in the context of giving and in the context of generosity, he's reminding them of this principle. And he's basically saying this, as you sow generously into giving of your finances, as you sow generously, um, God, in His supernatural understanding of the universe and this world, will make sure also that you reap a harvest back into your life because generosity breeds generosity from God. I had the opportunity of meeting a very wealthy individual, a billionaire, not too long ago. And this billionaire happened to be a Christian. And uh, my wife has helped this billionaire become a billionaire. He owns Hobby Lobby. And my wife loves Hobby Lobby. So I wanted to say to him, hey, we've contributed to your wealth, sir. But I love what he said. He, he basically said this. He said, I give to get to give again. I give to get to give again. And what he was saying, this billionaire, what he was saying is, I understand that what comes into my life is not, does not stop in my life. I understand that I'm a funnel. God uses me, and I, 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 what, what comes in my life, I have the capacity and power to be able to give as well what God brings into my life. I recently, just this past week, attended the wake of a 93-year-old man that I met many years ago. He was 93, and his mind was very sharp. And he passed away, and so I actually flew to Detroit just so that I could be at the wake of this man this past week. And I'll never forget first meeting him. I met him, and my wife and I sat down with him and his wife, and he was telling us a little bit about his testimony, and he was a developer and made a lot of money off of development and uh, buying buildings, building buildings. And he said to me this. He said, when I got married... My wife and I decided that we would give a tithe of whatever came in, which is 10%. He said, we determined that we would give a tithe. And he said, but you know, we felt like God wanted to test us even more. So he said, we decided that we would start with the tithe our first year of marriage, and that every year after that, we would up it by 1%. I'm listening. He was old at that time. And I... Curiously, I said, uh, so how many years you've been married? He said, 50. I said, and have you stayed with the plan? He said, yes. He was giving away 60% of his income. 
Because he felt like, God, I'm going to test you in this. An extremely generous individual. You say, well, pastor, I can't give 60% of my income. And I understand that. And no one's asking you. God has given to every person the power to be generous. And you have to understand what that means in your context. But I believe that all of us, whether you make $10 a week or whether you make uh, you know, $20,000 a week, I believe that God has given all of us the power and responsibility to live in a culture of generosity. And so the Apostle Paul tells this church, remember, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will reap generously. Then he goes on and he says uh, in verse 7, he says, everyone, everyone should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So I want you to remember that your attitude in giving is as important as your giving. Your attitude in giving is as important as your giving. Why? Because you haven't really understood the power of generosity if you have a bad attitude in giving. You see, when you understand the power of generosity, then it affects how you give. In fact, if you look at it in the Greek, this word actually says um, that God lo loves a hilarious giver. Some of you love to give gifts. In fact, as Christmas time comes around, some of you, you're the gift givers in the household. And you get giddy over giving gifts. Some of you are like that. Come on, right? You buy a gift, you wrap it up, you put it under the tree, and you're like, you tell the person, I can't wait till you see this. It's going to be so good, man. Yeah, it's, good. it's perfect for you. Oh, I just can't wait. You want to test it out? Hey, maybe, wait, yeah, jiggle the box a little bit, and they jiggle the box. Some of you say, you know, open it right now. I'll buy you another, another gift for you. You're so excited about giving that you get giddy in your giving. The Bible says that God loves hilarious givers and others, people that love to give so much. And here's the thing. If you understood the power of giving, it would be one of the most favorite things that we do. We would get excited about giving. We would get giddy about giving. We'd laugh about giving because we understand the power of what it brings into our life. On the other hand, some of us, when we don't understand this, well, giving is like pulling teeth. Your wife says, don't you think we should give to this person that's going on a mission trip? I guess. I mean, if you feel like it. We got payments to make. You know that? Okay, I, I'll go along with it. Here. We give sort of with an attitude. We're like the little kid who was standing up in the back seat of the car, and the dad kept saying, sit down, sit down, sit down. And finally they sat down. He looked at him, and the kid said, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. You know, <laughs> attitude matters. How we give, the attitude of what, what we give indicates if we've really understood the power of it. And the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthian believers, and he says, listen, I want you to give what you decided in your heart to give, 
Not reluctantly, in other words, I don't know if I'm going to give this. Not under compulsion, like i got to give this, or if not, I feel guilty about it. Because God loves a cheerful giver. When you understand the power of giving, when you, when you understand the, what you reap when you give, then it allows you to give with a generous, joyful spirit because you understand the power of what's happening. Yeah, come on now. Some of you understand that. In fact, can I say this? Years ago, some of you were around. Most of you were not. This church started in Back of the Yards neighborhood at 44th and Polina. The church was very small. The neighborhood was very poor. And we had very few resources. The church was about 18 people. And I remember starting as a young pastor, I was 21 years old, the church, the entire budget for the church was $17,000, their whole annual budget. And they said, hey, we can pay you, pastor, but we can't pay you a lot. You probably have to go get another job. I say, no, I believe that God's called me full time. They said, well, we can give you $8,000. So my salary was $8,000. No parsonage, no insurance. We were poor. It was small. I was doing the preaching, and I was also leading worship. We didn't have any fancy screens like this. We didn't have a worship band. They were so desperate. I would start out. I would get my guitar. I would sing some songs. We didn't have a PowerPoint. In fact, my wife would actually hold up the words of songs, some like this, written on a, like a laminate piece of paper. So people, that was our fancy. She was my Vanna White, so to speak. She would hold up the words there. People would sing to it. We would put it down. We could barely pay the bills. There was, they were shooting in front of the church. There was drug dealers on, on the corner there. We were a very, very small church, but we felt like God put in our hearts the desire to make a difference in the community. And I remember that I would pray in that empty church. We barely had any people. It was mainly an empty auditorium, small, falling apart auditorium. But I remember I would pray, I would go during the week and I would say, Lord, fill the pews. I especially wanted men because we had almost no men. And I remember I would say, Lord Jesus, give us some men. I know some of you single ladies are saying the same thing, Lord, give me a man. <laughs> and I would go and say, Lord, Lord, just... Just 12 men. Jesus, you had 12 men. I don't care if they're homeless, toothless, you know, coming straight out of prison. Lord, just give me some men, Lord Jesus. Can I, I know I'm, some of you sisters are saying, amen. That's what I'm praying. <laughs> and I remember feeling very overwhelmed by the community, by the neighborhood, by the, by the, just the overwhelming needs that we saw in the community. And one day I was prayer walking and I was prayer walking in Brighton Park neighborhood, going down the street, and I was kind of complaining. How many of you pray complain sometimes? You call it prayer, but it's really mainly complaining to God. God, I don't know why we have this, and I don't have this, and help me, Lord, and I don't know how I'm going to make it through it. And I was kind of complaining like that. And I'll never forget, I felt like God stopped me by the Holy Spirit right in the center of that street, that sidewalk, 
And I felt like the Spirit of God said to me, don't worry about what you don't have. Be faithful with what you do have. And I will give you increase. I was so excited, I went back to the congregation, and I said, you know what? Uh, we, we may have needs, but we're not going to be needy. God's going to use us to bless other people. So I went and talked to the elders. I said, hey, let's give away 10% of what we bring into missions. They got all silent. <laughs> and then someone said, Pastor, we're, we are the mission field. Have you looked around? I said, yeah, but you... you but, but there's places that are a lot more needy than us, Africa, and places that don't have the gospel. And we think we have needs, but there's needs much greater than us. And can we determine to give away 10%? And there's something that changed in the spiritual atmosphere of our church when we decided to say, hey, we're going to sow seeds. We may feel like we need the seeds, but we're going to sow the seeds because we believe that the more you sow, the more you reap. And that little church decided we're going to give 10% away to missions. We're going to give it out to other organizations that need help. And suddenly what I started to see is a change in our mentality from we need, we need to, hey, we can meet some needs. We can make a difference. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a change that began to happen as we started to sow seeds. And let me tell you. Boy, I wish I could have time. We were 18 people at the time. Now we minister to about 7,000 people all around Chicagoland for the glory of King Jesus. Yeah. We were at one location. Guess what? We started releasing people, releasing leaders, releasing. And now New Life, this church, meets at 27 locations around Chicagoland. We have 42 worship services that happen, nine in Spanish, one in Mandarin, the rest more or less in English. I was at a conference call this past week with churches that we've planted overseas. This morning I got a video from Santander, Spain, northern Spain. Five people were baptized to a crowded auditorium in northern Spain because we sent out missionaries and we released seeds so that people are being touched in another country through the testimony of this church. I'm talking about what you sow, you reap. And we've continued on with that spirit. As I mentioned earlier today, we fed two million people in the last year and a half. Why? Because we are the people of God, and we can be generous, and God blesses when we give. And so we have continued with that spirit and that attitude. We gave $100,000 this year, just this year alone, $100,000 to help minister to at-risk at youth through New Life Centers and helping uh, youth that are coming out of the streets turn around. Why? Because we can, because we choose to, because we want to, because we believe in a spirit and a culture of generosity. The Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthian believers, hey, remember that, that you may not think that you have a lot, but there's not a person in this auditorium that doesn't have something to give. And it's not always money. Sometimes it's time, a word of kindness. It's a word of encouragement. It's a house that you open up. It's a ride you give to someone. But a spirit of generosity should be prevalent among the people of God. I don't know of a church 
that truly has the Spirit of God, that truly embodies the Spirit of Jesus that is not a generous church. You find a, uh, you find a church that's not generous, and I think you find a church in which they haven't fully grasped the Spirit of Jesus. Number two, not just, not just how do I embrace a spirit of generosity, but why can I embrace a lifestyle of generosity? Look what it tells us in verse 8. And God is able. Go ahead, say it out loud. God is what? And God is able. Able to do what? God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I want you to hear me. What is God saying? God is saying, I bless you so that you can be a blessing. I empower you, not just for yourself, but I empower you so that you can touch other people's lives. I bless you so that you have all that you need abundantly, not just so you could store it up on yourself and use it on yourself and just get bigger and bigger stuff. It's okay that you have stuff. It's okay that God blesses you. But never forget that he who blesses expects you to be a blessing. That's part of the culture of the kingdom. And he goes on to tell us that, that the reason that he blesses us is that we can turn around and be a blessing. In fact, look what he says. He says, listen, verse 11 says, You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Let me read that again. Verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be what? generous on every occasion. I want you to hear me well. The reason God blesses and enriches you is so that you can be a blessing. He says, I, I want to enrich you in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Let me tell you this. If God blesses you, never be ashamed of his blessing. If God abundantly blesses you and materially prospers you, you should never be ashamed of that. Never try to hide it. Never try to excuse it. Always point to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Don't touch the glory. Don't touch the glory. Don't pat yourself on the back. Thanks be to God. Because he who gave you wealth can take your wealth like this as well. Thanks be to God. Hey, wow, that's a nice card. Praise God. You know, this is, I'm, I'm, he's, wow, that's, thank, praise be to God. But never forget that the reason that God has blessed you and, and enriched you is so that you can be generous on every occasion. When the generosity stops at your door, then the blessing, I believe, of faucet starts to turn down because God is saying, I want to bless those who will be a blessing back. And the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthian believers and saying, hey, I bless you and enrich you in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion so that through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Listen, when the people of God are generous, a lot of people that don't know God 
started saying, wow, there must be something to that God. I've never met people like them. Do you know, as, we, as we've fed hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people that have made our way through the parking lot, I've seen so many tears of gratitude. And as people drive through the parking lot, they say, what is this? I say, well, we're a church. Really? And why do you do this? <laughs> we do it because we love God and we love people. That's why we do it. I've had people say, is someone paying you to do it? No, no, we're paying to do it. Why? Because we can and there's a need. Hospitals all across this country were started by people of faith. Schools all across this country were started by people of faith. The people of faith, people full of God, are the people that typically are the ones that understand the generosity of God and they flow in a heart of generosity back to other people around them. My prayer for this congregation is that we would be so full of the presence of Jesus, so full of the power of God, that there will be ripple effects throughout this neighborhood and throughout Chicago and ultimately other parts of the world because this church decided, hey, we may have needs, but we're not needy. And I love the fact Listen, I love the fact that we were started in a very poor neighborhood, in a very difficult place where people thought, you guys will never survive. I had more than one people tell me, you're never going to make it in Chicago. You're never going to survive in Chicago. Well, guess what? Praise be to the name of King Jesus. We're not only surviving, but we're thriving in Jesus' name. And then he goes on. And lastly, what happens when I begin to walk in generosity? Listen to what it says in the last couple of verses here. He says, this service that you perform is not only supporting the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that your generosity ultimately spills over in people thanking and praising God. That ultimately, ultimately, it spills over in people thanking and praising God. At the 930 service, uh, a brother was here, and I mentioned he came for the first time. He's been here every week at the uh, but 930 service. And that was Carlos Yanez, Officer Carlos Yanez, that was shot five times, shot in the head. On Saturday, we prayed for him, interceded on behalf of him before God. And every Sunday, with tears in his eyes, he's coming up and saying, it's a miracle. Thank you. Thank the congregation for praying. But you know what? I believe that Carlos Yanez, God gave him a second opportunity on life because the people of God prayed. Believe God for a miracle. And it overflows in thanksgiving from him and his family and many other people. Why? Because the people of God, when you pray, when you give, when you help, when you do what God has called you to do, then it overflows in thanksgiving to God. And the Apostle Paul says that it will overflow in thanksgiving expressions of thanks to God. So here's what I want to do as we close our time together. I want to challenge you today. Listen to me. Look up at me. You may have been telling yourself 
for years. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I wish I had more. I don't make enough. I don't have anything to give. I'm, I need, I need, I'm on the receiving end. I want to change that mentality for you right now. It doesn't matter what, how much you make right now. Can I tell you something? You may have needs, but you're not needy. You have something to give. And I'm not just talking about finances. If you don't have a penny to your name, you have the love of God to give. Be generous with his love. You may not have anything in your pocket right now, but if you have encouragement, then give it freely. Maybe you have an old rickety car. That's all right. Open up the door and bring people to church. Maybe you just have McDonald's to eat. That's all right. Treat someone else to McDonald's to eat. I'm just saying whatever you have, say, God, you've given this to me. I want to be generous with what you've given. I want to overflow in generosity because you are the God that has blessed me, and I want to bless back. That is the call of God and every single person in this auditorium. Amen?